Okay, here we go. The rare Friday afternoon podcast. That's right. It is Friday, March 26th, 2021. BK here, of course. Thanks, everybody, for checking out the podcast. Coming at you guys from San Diego, California. As we get started here, about 2.04 in the afternoon. Uh, Yeah, like I told you guys last week, uh, there was a possibility it could be a Friday podcast. And indeed, it is so. Go ahead and follow me on social media and check out my uh, Twitter for breaking news throughout the week at Bravo Kilo Actual and check out that Instagram at BK Actual. And why don't we get started by talking about this giant cargo ship that's been blocking the Suez Canal now like pretty much all friggin' week. And I, I can't get enough of this story. This is insane. And this has been uh, up, up in the Suez Canal uh, since Tuesday. And now they're saying this could take weeks uh, to get out. And I can't get enough of the memes. Uh, you guys are probably seeing all the memes going around. Like like one of the memes, it shows this like tiny friggin' backhoe like right up against where the ship is like run into the ground. So there's this like tiny backhoe like dwarfed by this huge container ship. And it is huge. They say if you turn this ship upside down, it's taller than the Empire State Building. So let's get into some of the details. And I'll, plus, let's talk a little bit about the Suez Canal because it was a marvel of engineering at the time. So this the ship is called the Ever Given, and it's been wedged in the canal since running aground amid the heavy winds of a sandstorm on Tuesday. So the bow is lodged in the canal's eastern bank, and the stern is in the western bank. And they're trying they're they're throwing everything at this thing. Uh, eight large tugboats were attempting to push and drag the ship from where it's stuck in there. Uh, again, but with the ship stretching about 1,300 feet long and weighing about 200,000 metric tons, dislodging it is a huge challenge. So they've been working on it pretty hard. They thought they might have had it on Thursday, but it did not work. And they're bringing in all kinds of specialized dredgers and everything else. Now, the Japanese company that owns the ship is called Shoi Kissen Kaisha. And they did acknowledge that the situation was extremely difficult and they're working on it hard. Uh, so I'm just going to scroll down here because I got a, a couple different tabs open. So the authorities first tried to float the vessel using tugboats, and that was a, a way they were able to free a previously stuck ship called the Sea. SCL Indian Ocean, a similar size container ship that became stuck in the LB River in 2016, and that was in the port of Hamburg, Germany. Salvaging that ship took 12 tugboats and three attempts, plus part of the sandbank where that ship had run aground had to be dredged. But now they're saying that this new ship, the Ever Given, was too heavy for tugboats alone adding that salvagers might need to extract some of the fuel out of the ship, pump out water from the ballast tanks, and take off some of those containers. Hopefully that would make the ship a lot lighter and easier to move. So a lot of this depends on how deep this container ship is stuck. Obviously, the more deep it's stuck, the harder it is to get out of there. Uh, Now, a preliminary investigation has found that the vessel grounded because of strong winds, not because of mechanical or engine failure. Uh, there are 25 crew members aboard. They are all safe. No reports of uh, injuries. I So far, they're not saying operator error. But now, 
you can see some of the chaos by the satellite pictures as all these boats that normally traverse the Suez Canal, you know, in, in the global trade that we have and we've taken it for granted are just kind of sitting around waiting. So the canal is something that Egypt derives a lot of its revenues from and its geopolitical significance. This one canal handles about 10% of all global trade. By connecting the Red Sea to the Mediterranean, which the Suez Canal did, it offers a shortcut worth about 10 days of sailing time to ships carrying oil and cargo from Asia to Europe and elsewhere. On an average day, more than sh uh, 50 such ships pass through it. Now, Egypt had opened a new lane in one section of the canal in 2015. That was an $8 billion expansion. But the Ever Given is sitting diagonally across another section that has only one lane. So, there's kind of that part. So, what else about the... Uh, uh, what, what are they going to do? Well, some of them, like I said, are just sitting there anchored. Um, a journey from the Suez Canal in Egypt to Rotterdam in the Netherlands, which is Europe's largest port, typically takes about 11 days. But if you had to, you would have to sail all the way south around uh, Africa's Cape of Good Hope, of course, the southernmost point of Africa. That would add at least 26 more days. And obviously much more expensive, but that's what they're kind of doing. The additional fuel charges for that journey generally run more than $30,000 U.S. per day or more than $800,000 total for the longer trip. But the only other option is sitting at the entrance of the canal and waiting for this traffic jam to dissipate. And, of course, you have, like, late fees. You know, these ships guarantee the cargo to show up at a certain time. Uh, so let's see. What else around here do I have? They say that the shutdown of the canal is affecting as much as 15% of the world's container shipping capacity. Tankers, oil tankers too, carrying 9.8 million barrels of crude oil are now waiting to enter the canal. That 9.8 million barrels is about one-tenth of the globe's consumption, one day's worth. And uh, so, yeah, you can expect the, audio, uh, the auto industry is vulnerable to this because they do just-in-time manufacturing where they only order what they need in a particular moment. And as far as numbers, they say 200 ships are now stuck at either end of the Suez Canal, and they have no friggin' idea when they're going to be able to go through this. Some of them have already diverted. Uh, one ship chartered by Royal Dutch Shell had been heading towards the canal when they got the uh, word and they made a sharp turn in the Atlantic Ocean towards Africa. So that's kind of what's happening. Now, how, you know, let's talk about the Suez Canal a little bit and a little bit. As I said, it connects Port Said on the Mediterranean Sea to the Indian Ocean via the Egyptian city of Suez on the Red Sea. Uh, the canal is the world's longest without locks which connect bodies of water at differing altitudes. With no locks to interrupt traffic, the transit time from end to end averages about 13 to 15 hours. The canal was originally owned by French investors, and it was conceived actually way back when Egypt was under the control of the Ottoman Empire in the mid-19th century. Construction began at the Port Said end in early 1859. The excavation took 10 years, and the project required an estimated 1.5 million workers. 
And the Suez Canal Authority says that 20,000 peasants were drafted every 10 months to help construct the project. Obviously, the conditions must have been horrific. Many workers died of cholera and other diseases. And then they had all kinds of political instability, shockingly, in Egypt. That slowed progress on the canal, and the final cost was roughly double the initial $50 million U.S. projected. So the British controlled the canal through the first two world wars, and they withdrew forces there in 1956 and relinquished their authority to the Egyptian government led by President Gamel Abdel Nasser. And uh, then uh, came all kinds of like crises and shit. They had a 1956 crisis when Egypt's president nationalized the canal after the British had departed. And, you know, the world was kind of like not down with that because they're like, okay, well, now these crazy Egyptians are running it. How secure is this going to be? And that crisis briefly closed the canal, but it did open up a year later under an agreement supervised by the U.N., uh, and then Egypt closed the canal for nearly a decade after the 1967 Arab-Israeli war because that waterway was basically a front line between the Israelis and the Egypt, uh, the Egyptians. And during that nearly a decade when it was closed, they had 14 cargo ships trapped in the canal and they weren't allowed to go out until 1975. That 14 cargo ship fleet became known as the Yellow Fleet. Uh, they have had previous accidental groundings. The most notable until this week was a three-day closure in 2004 when a Russian oil tanker ran aground. Um, let's see, what else? Was the Suez Canal designed to handle this? Well, the Ever Given is one of the world's largest shipping containers, and it was supposed to be able to handle it. The canal was originally engineered to handle much smaller vessels, but the channels have been widened and deepened several times. Uh, so, yeah, that's what's going on, guys. And uh, it, it's kind of comedy if it didn't affect so much of global commerce, honestly. But pretty, pretty crazy. So why don't we move on? But let's stay in Egypt because something else happened that was notable. How about this? Two, two trains collided in southern Egypt uh, on Friday, today. And that killed at least 32 people and injured more than 160 in the latest disaster to strike this railway system that has long been plagued by accidents. The Egyptian National Railways are saying that someone had activated the emergency brakes in some cars on one train and another train coming from behind crashed into it, causing the two passenger cars to overturn. There was video that was shot in this day and age we live in, all over social media. And, uh, yeah, so this railway that they have do often have horrible accidents. Uh, and as a matter of fact, how about this one? You're not going to believe this number. In 2002 was, the, was Egypt's worst rail disaster. You ready for this one? You know how many people died in this? Try more than 300 people dead when a fire erupted on a speeding train traveling to Cairo from southern Egypt. Then in 2019, at least 20 people were killed and dozens were injured when a train crashed into a platform at Cairo's main rail station. And uh, in 2018, 
A passenger train and cargo train collided in the Nile Delta north of Cairo, killing at least 12 people. 2017, two trains crashed near the port city of Alexandria, killing at least 37 people. The Government Statistics Agency of Egypt reported 10,965 railroad accidents between 2008 and 2017. The the number that was reported in 2017 was the highest number the country had seen for at least 15 years. What was that number? How about 1,793 train accidents in one year? Like, doesn't like running a train seem to be like sort of easy? I mean, I, I would just think like, how hard can it be? It's not like, you know, cars whizzing around everywhere. It's like, you know, one set of tracks. Uh, meet you know two at best next to each other i don't know one's going this way the other one's going that way how hard can that be i don't know it doesn't make sense probably a big thing too is the maintenance um after one crash in 2018 uh the president of egypt abdel fatah el sisi he vowed to get to the bottom of it but he also acknowledged that the government lacks the roughly $14 billion U.S. needed to overhaul the rail system. Uh, so they're getting a little bit from the World Bank. They approved a $440 million loan to Egypt this month, but it's clearly not enough, and they're going to need a billions of more. There are tens of thousands of trips and millions of passengers moving around the Egyptian trains each day. So yeah, huge clusterfuck going on over there. Let's keep going around the world. And let's go to North Korea. They've uh, been making a little noise. They were issuing warnings for about a week. And it appears they decided to act on it because North Korea on Thursday launched two short-range ballistic missiles off its east coast. That is the first such test by the country in a year, and its first significant provocation against the United States under President Biden. North Korea did confirm the test on Friday today, saying that its military hit a target 373 miles away with a newly developed tactical guided missile that uses solid fuel and could perform what they call gliding and pull-up maneuvers in low-altitude flight. Uh, they indicated that the new missile was a modified version of one of the three solid-fuel ballistic missiles that it tested since 2019. These uh, solid-fuel missiles are kind of on mobile launchers, and they're a lot easier to transport and hide, and they take less time to prepare to launch as well and are harder to intercept because of their maneuverability. Now, keep in mind, the UN Security Council has a ban on ballistic missile tests by North Korea, which this launch would clearly defy. Uh, this test is also seen as a signal to Washington that Pyongyang will carry out more of these provocative tests involving longer-range missiles if they decide that President Joe Biden's policies towards them are unreasonable. And the Biden administration has been reviewing whether to deal with North Korea's growing nuclear missile threats with more sanctions, a new round of dialogue, or a mix of both. So this comes on the heels. Last October, North Korea displayed what appeared to be its largest ever intercontinental ballistic missile during one of those nighttime military parades that they have. And meanwhile, in the way, the other way that they're kind of competing on the world stage is the hacking they do. 
talked about that in a few times in past podcasts, but this is a big number. North Korean hackers stole $316 million U.S. between 2019 and November of 2020. And they would they do this by attacking financial institutions and virtual currency exchanges. Oh, man. It's just, I'm just so fascinated with North Korea. The last one before this was in late 2017 when they had launched an uh, ICBM, Intercontinental Ballistic Missile, that they had said was powerful enough to deliver a nuclear warhead to the United States. But then they kind of abstained from all these as the uh, leader there, Kim Jong-un, started getting into the negotiations with Trump, of course, at the time. And after that Kim-Trump summit collapsed without the deal in Hanoi, you guys remember this? In February of 2019, that's when North Korea resumed a series of short-range ballistic missile tests from May of 2019 until March of last year when everything was kind of shut down because of the coronavirus testing uh, and the, the pandemic that they were going through. I wonder, and who even knows what their numbers are, the pandemic numbers. Uh, they have this other article here. And they're at, they, they say that North Korea's arsenal has grown rapidly. Under Kim Jong-un, they've rap, rapidly expanded their nuclear program. They modernized the missile fleet. So what do they have exactly in their arsenal? Well, North Korea's ballistic missiles can carry nuclear warheads, and the country conducted six increasingly sophisticated and underground nuclear tests between 2006 and 2017. The last four of those did happen under Kim. Their last and most powerful nuclear test was conducted in September of 2017 when North Korea claimed to have detonated a thermonuclear or hydrogen bomb. The uh, estimate of that device's explosive power ranged from 50 to 300 kilotons. In case you're wondering, 100 kilotons would make that test six times as powerful as the bomb dropped on Hiroshima in 1945. And they have extracted plutonium, and they do run centrifuges to produce weapons-grade enriched uranium, which is another bomb fuel. So as of January 2020, they think North Korea had 30 to 40 nuclear warheads. Excuse me. My voice is a little screwed up today. Uh, the missiles can fly longer ranges, as I said. The weapons are getting more sophisticated. I uh, kind of talked about that a little bit with the new solid fuel weapons that are easier to transport. So, yeah, they're just getting more and more belligerent. And, you know, we all laugh at their jokes of missiles that used to fall into the sea, but it's not such a big joke anymore. So how long uh, is the rest of the global community going to tolerate this? Yeah, I think North Korea is just one of those, it's like a dam waiting to burst. And it's like, it seems like you only need to take out, like, really the top guys, maybe. And the rest of it will fall to pieces because it's like a house of cards. It's all built on a facade. You know, half the country's starving to death. It's a basic wasteland. It's a communist country. Uh, and then further, this is a quick story from, uh, this is a little bit, a couple days old, but this was an interesting one. For the first time, a North Korean is set to be extradited to the United States. And North Korea severed diplomatic ties with Malaysia after that country's highest court agreed to extradite a North Korean man accused of money laundering to the U.S. That's a huge victory in Washington's efforts 
to kind of cut down on that aforementioned uh, illicit money trade. So in a ruling last week, Malaysia's federal court did approve the extradition of a North Korean citizen named Moon Chol Myung. Uh, Washington, D.C. has sought to bring Moon to the United States to face criminal charges that he laundered money through front companies and violated international sanctions by helping to ship prohibited luxury goods from Singapore to North Korea on behalf of that regime in Pyongyang. He was arrested in 2019 in Malaysia, where he had moved from Singapore in 2008. Again, he would be the first Korean extradited to the U.S. Uh, Now, Malaysia... And North Korea were already kind of pissed off at each other. And you guys will probably recall this. Remember Kim Jong-un's estranged half-brother, Kim Jong-nam? He was assassinated at that airport in February of 2017 in Kuala Lumpur. You guys remember this? That was when two women hired by agents from Pyongyang smeared his face with that internationally banned VX nerve agent. North Korea, of course, denied any involvement. It was kind of captured on video. After that incident, the two countries expelled ambassadors from each other's capitals. Hmm. Fascinating. Uh, What else? North Korean diplomats have deserted some of their overseas postings in recent years. The minister in the North Korean embassy in London, he defected to Seoul in 2016 with his wife and two sons. Uh, Another senior North Korean diplomat disappeared from Italy in late 2018, ended up in Seoul. Wow. I mean, who the hell would want to be in friggin' North Korea, dude? Couldn't pay me enough. All right. Let's keep going. And let's go to the UK. They're having these, like, crazy protests over there. Have you guys seen this? 14 protesters have been arrested in Bristol. That's in southwestern England. And it's at this rally to denounce a policing bill that would enact restrictions on peaceful demonstrations. So these uh, had huge fights, you know, something we've all become accustomed to in the last year. And big clashes in the city last Sunday left uh, police officers wounded and drew condemnation from officials. So the police tried to shut it down, citing breaches of coronavirus rules, you know, when they started protesting. And by the way, they were also obstructing a highway. So what about this bill? Well, this bill would give the police sweeping powers to handle nonviolent demonstrations in England and Wales, among other measures. The bill has already passed one hurdle in Parliament and is now being assessed in detail by a committee before it returns for lawmakers to debate later this year. So these latest fights in Bristol began after a rally in the city center turned violent when a small group began hurling fireworks and other projectiles at officers. Yep. Two police vans were set on fire, and the police said that 21 officers had been wounded, including two seriously. Hmm. Yep. They've been kind of demonstrating all over the country to protest this bill, and it was kind of thrust into the spotlight in the wake of the killing of that woman, Sarah Everard. Remember, I talked about it, I discussed her briefly a few weeks ago. And uh, it, it kind of came out because they were the demonstrators were angry at the tactics used recently by the police to break up a vigil for Everard. And that's kind of what snowballed into everybody calling for all of this to be uh, scrapped. 
Okay. I know I'm going a little fast here, guys. Again, I'm a little uh, still discombobulated from the short week and appreciate you all hanging in there with me. And I did get uh, many very nice messages from you, and I really appreciate that. It's uh, like I said a few times, sometimes the last thing I want to do is the podcast, but I really do try to show up here week in and week out. Hey, I, the way I look at it is at best, you know, maybe I won't be as hilarious as I usually am because I'm really not in the friggin' mood, but at least you're still going to get a lot of good information. And as I've said many times, it's not that I'm some genius or anything, but I am fascinated with what's going on around the world. And I learn it and you learn it and we all learn it together and we're all a little bit better informed. So really appreciate you guys hanging in with me. Another great week for the podcast. How about a couple of elections? Israel had their like friggin' fourth election in two years. I have no, I covered every one of them briefly, but it's like so complicated, and even I don't know what's going on. So, Prime Minister Benjamin Netanyahu's party did hold the lead in Israel's fourth election in two years, but neither his right wing alliance nor a diverse block of opposition parties had a clear path to a majority. Coalition, And now this is going to create yet another stalemate that could extend Israel's political deadlock for weeks, if not months. Uh, so Netanyahu's party is the Likud party. That's the, they're the conservatives. And uh, two of the three polls, because it's not, they're not really done counting, gave Netanyahu's conservative party and his wider right-wing and religious bloc 53 seats in Israel's parliament, or 60 when adding seven seats he might get from an independent candidate, that would still fall short of the 61 seats needed to form a majority in the 120-seat parliament. Uh, so the election at this point is uh, kind of up in the air. So if it fails, it could lead to a fifth election. This is not what hey you can't go you can't run a country this way. Yeah, there, there, I'm looking. I'm just scrolling down here. Like, what is causing all this nonsense? Well, it's partly rooted in the nature of its election system. Their election system allocates parliamentary seats according to each party's share of the vote, and it that is it's a double-edged sword. It makes it easy for smaller parties to enter the parliament and have some kind of representation. But it also makes it hard for larger parties to form a majority. Hence, they have to kind of like get together with various candidates and kind of agree to form a ruling coalition. And then the other part is Netanyahu's refusal to resign despite standing trial over accusations of bribery, fraud, and a breach of trust. And that decision has split that right-wing bloc that has kept Netanyahu in power for the past 12 years. So, since neither Netanyahu nor his opponents could win a majority in the three previous elections in 2019 and 2020, Netanyahu remained in power. So, yeah, huge clusterfuck over there. In another election, the uh, Netherlands had an election. I know nobody covers the Netherlands election, you guys. Mark Root. R-U-T-T-E, could be Rutte. He is one of Europe's longest-serving leaders. He saw his party for freedom and democracy, nice name, win big in those Dutch elections on Wednesday of last week, actually. This is a few days old. So this sets him up for a fourth term as prime minister of the Netherlands. 
He describes his party as center-right and must now form a coalition with other parties to obtain a majority in parliament. So his party gained three seats as compared with similar elections in uh, 2017. He, oh yeah, I remember this now. Root and his cabinet had resigned in January. They, they, the whole government had quit. You guys remember that? It was over a scandal involving the tax authorities targeting of poor people who had made administrative mistakes in their requests for child benefits. Many were ruined financially after being forced to pay back benefits to which they had been entitled. But apparently, the Dutch did not see this as a huge scandal or his policies for dealing with the coronavirus. So he and his cabinet had stayed on in a caretaker role. So they, they resigned, but they were there still running shit until this election. Uh, because, you know, somebody has to, like, you know, turn the lights off at the end of the day. And they were swept back into power. So that's it. Uh, Nate, meanwhile, Germany is also entering a packed election season. And national and state votes are coming in a year that will bring an end to the 16-year chancellorship of Angela Merkel. All right. There you go. Now you guys know so much more about European elections than anybody else. What else do we have here? Well, let's go to... Uh, I got a lot of... You know, I've got a lot of racism this week, so we might as well fire it up with this one. Let's go to Miami. You guys know the, the whole anti-Asian hate has been getting a lot of play, right? Well, on the evening of March 9th, a man and woman riding a Miami-Dade transit bus were having a conversation without wearing masks. That made a woman called Lai, who's a Miami resident of Chinese descent, uncomfortable. She waited several minutes, and she asked them to please cover their faces. And you can kind of guess... It all kinds of went it all kind of went to shit. So the two people who were talking to one another without masks were a white woman and a black man. And apparently the guy turned around and said he wasn't having any of it and to basically shut the hell up. I've got the video. Let's play it right here. You can stop the bus, I'm getting off at the next bus stop, man. I'm getting, I'm getting off at the next bus stop anyway, man. I'm with, hey, listen. I'm, hey, listen, boss man. I have no problem with what she's saying. My thing is this. Wait, she come in. Maybe you, maybe you don't need to be racist Lady, to me. I don't fuck what, what you're saying, man. I got daughters older than you, man. Mind your goddamn business, Chinese lady. Ugly ass chick. Mind your goddamn business, man. Mind your motherfucking business, man. You don't need to be racist. Man, fuck you. Like you I don't said, need to be I'm nasty. I'm not being nasty. I asked you politely to wear your mask. She's right about this. She's right. But I said the next bus stop, I'm the next bus stop. Oh, I was right there. I'm getting off the next bus stop. Fuck what they're talking about. Man. All right. Bitch, what you say? Don't count to me at all, man. I asked you politely to wear man, your mask. Fuck dick, man. Next bus stop, please try. The next bus stop. You know, you know, nah, nah, she knows. She's right about it. But the way she came in, oh, this here, man. Okay, he's going towards the front of the bus, so I'll just stop it there. Yes, you did hear the, uh, quote, chink, end quote, slur thrown out there. Oh, come on. All right, what else? Well, I got to do... Okay, so this one 
Have you guys heard this rumor? So this was floating around social media and it is not coming. I suspect it's not true because really nobody is touching this with a 10 foot pole. Although it was in a news site called Los Cerritos News. And the rumor is California Governor Gavin Newsom is having an affair with a high level staffer. Mm. So these are sources. And this is an article, like I said, LosCerritosNews.net. And apparently, this is run by Hughes Media Group, is the website. And they claim that they have sources telling Hughes Media Group that many of Newsom's other high-ranking staffers are aware of the relationship and are ready to jump ship. Of course, Newsom is currently married to Jennifer Siebel Newsom, the first partner that's right. That's her official title. It used to be first lady until Gavin Newsom became governor. And then they officially, in all the government documents, changed it to first partner. Very woke. So I just thought it was funny, but that is the rumor out there. And it wouldn't be the first time because Gavin Newsom has had an affair before when he was mayor of San Francisco. And that was in uh, 2007. And that woman was married to one of Gavin Newsom's uh, very high-level staffers, like his chief of staff, like basically, and one of his like good friends. So the guy's just like a complete sociopath, obviously. He doesn't give a shit. Just banging out there, everything that moves. But uh, I, I, it's probably bullshit, but still funny enough to mention. Okay, what else? Well, let's do a military story. I've been talking about the military army combat fitness test. Well, it's official. Soldiers will start taking the third version of the new army combat fitness test on April 1st as part of an effort to gather data for a study on how the test will impact different demographics across the army. And basically this all comes down as we've gone over because too many women were failing it. And because failing a PT test is not good for your career or advancement in the military, this was now seen as unfair. And as I said, it, it did get to their credit. Some of the, the first woman to graduate U.S. Army Ranger School uh, wrote a very strong op-ed, which I read part of a few weeks ago, which condemned this. She was saying, no, we should have one standard, but they are getting rid. They will have separate standards by gender. Plus, the third version of the test will officially offer the plank as an optional replacement for the dreaded leg tuck. Mm-hmm. Now, the the this is see, I don't I don't know why they're doing this. This new version also lifts, it gets rid of job specific standards for soldiers. And, of course, codifies a scoring system that does take into account physiological differences between men and women. So I, so I would definitely, like I've said before, I would have different, I would have one minimum standard. Like, you got to fight, like, the bare minimum. To be in the Army, you have to have this. But then I would also have, like, if you want to be an Army Ranger, your score has to be a minimum of this. Because, honestly, the dude, as I've said a bunch of times, who puts gas in the trucks 
doesn't probably have to have the same elite fitness standards as a Green Beret or a Ranger. Of course, it just makes sense that way. But the Army isn't doing it that way. And then what they're going to do as far as gender, like there's all, it's all one point score, right? But you're going to be grouped within your peer group. So if you're a woman, you're going to be judged against other women only. And that's how they're going to decide the advancement. So this is a huge cave, in other words. Just as a recap, if you guys didn't remember, the whole idea was to have one gender-neutral score. That was the idea, and that was the brilliant plan, because they, and they wanted to be woke. And they said, we're only going to have one score, because men and women are the same. Even though I was in the back, waving my arm frantically, nobody listens to me, of course, saying, what are you fucking dumb, dude? Of course they're not the same. Men are biologically, generally, of course there are exceptions, stronger and faster physically than a woman is. Obviously, and everybody knows that. And of course, you're going to have a female who's, you're going to have a fit female who could PT some fat guy slob into the ground. Yes, they're all, I'm speaking in general terms. So after legions and legions of female army members failed this test miserably, primarily because of the dreaded leg tuck, they decided to friggin' go back to the drawing board and now they're going to do this one. And, and, you know, it was so stupid. I'm looking at the Twitter feed of the sergeant major of the Army, a guy named Michael Grinston. You can find his Twitter account at 16th SMA and 16th using the numbers at 16THSMA. And he was on Twitter just fucking getting into it with randos. Like, no, no, this this doesn't have different standards for men and women. And everybody's pointing out, fucking dummy. <laughs> yeah, it does. What do you do? Your own article says so. If you're so if they're gonna they're gonna figure out what they're gonna do is they're gonna see take all the scores, they're gonna figure out they're gonna and then they're gonna break all those scores into like five different categories. And then if your score is in the top 1% of your whatever gender you're in, you'll be in the top group. So, so they'll take all the women's scores, add them all up, divide them into five categories, and then the elite women will be in the top of that, only that group, though, of the women's scores, if that makes sense. But I just couldn't get enough of this guy fucking yammering all over social media on Instagram and uh, t- Twitter. Like I said, getting, in, getting into it with anonymous accounts? Stupid. I'm like, really, dude? Is this how you freaking spend your days? It is, sadly. Okay. What else do I have? Let's go to... Oh, let's see. I'm just scrolling down here. Well, why don't we do a little uh, politics stuff and start with Sleepy Joe and his... Uh, this was kind of like... I, I. This is kind of a bunch of things, you guys. I'm gonna. I, I, I have a few clips from the... Uh, just insane press conference he did as well. I'm going to play those in a minute. But he's also been going on this new Georgia voter law. And I've got a few clips about that first. First of all, Biden condemns Georgia's crackdown on voting access. This was past weeks after former President Donald Trump tried to overturn Biden's victory in the state. And uh, in a statement Yesterday, or today, Friday, Biden condemned the law as, quote, un-American and Jim Crow in the 21st century. So this new law was signed on Thursday by the Republican Governor Brian Kemp. 
uh, it introduces more rigid voter identification requirements for absentee balloting, limits drop boxes, and expands the legislature's power over elections. And this legislation follows those Democratic victories that flipped the state at the presidential and Senate levels. Uh, so, in the, and then, then, then there was a little theater because uh, there was a Democratic state legislature that was in jail. And this was when she was arrested after knocking on Governor Kemp's door as he was signing the bill. Yeah, this is uh this is pretty crazy. I've got um I've got a few clips here before hold on, let me get rid of this one here. Uh and let's play a little bit of this and see what we can hear. You're gonna hear some of the protesters like screaming, and she's basically getting uh led out by the cops. So let's play a little bit of this. There she goes, she down the elevator. Okay, all right. <laughs> you need to be arresting governor. Okay. Uh, yeah, that was uh, that was something. I have another one from... Should I even play this one? Nah, I think she's screaming on the way out. Let me hear this one. Okay. She is, uh, yeah, she's being just like, they're dragging her right out. That's pretty crazy. Did I say her name earlier? Oh, I, I might not have. Uh, her name, by the way, is Park Cannon. And obviously this is problematic optics because she is an African-American female and the Georgia State Police, which are dragging her out, are both very Southern-looking white men. Yeah. All right. What else? Do I have for a few clips? Uh, let's see. I've got. Mm, let me see what I got here. Well, first of all, so let me let me go to this press conference he had. I mentioned the filibuster earlier, and here's where he kind of just loses his trail of thought while he was talking about the filibuster. So, so let's listen to this. I'm going to say something outrageous. I have never been particularly poor at calculating how to get things done in the United States Senate. So the best way to get something done, if you, if it holds near and dear to you that you uh, um, like to be able to, anyway, 
Uh, we're going to get a lot done. And if we have to, if there's complete lockdown and chaos as a consequence of the filibuster, then we'll have to go beyond what I'm talking about. Okay. So, you know, you know what he's, you know, he's, you know, you know, the thing. God, that's our president. Uh, what else? Here he is again talking about this. And this is funny. He, so he called, he was talking about the, the, the filibuster again, or I'm sorry, the, the Georgia anti-voter frauds. And you might've seen this meme floating around, but here's where he says that these anti-voter frauds are going to make Jim Crow look like Jim Eagle. And this had to be written down ahead of time, right? Republican voters I know find this despicable. Republican voters. I don't. Folks out in the... I'm not a Republican, though. Outside this White House. I'm not talking about the the elected officials. I'm talking about voters. voters. I'm a voter. And so I'm convinced that we'll be able to stop this because it is the most pernicious thing. This makes Jim Crow look like Jim Eagle. I mean, this is gigantic <laughs> what they're trying to do. Uh, and it cannot be sustained. And do everything on my power, along with my friends in the House and the Senate. All right, you know they wrote that down. You know that was written down as like a sick zinger. Because I don't know if you guys saw the pictures. He had like copious notes. He had a whole seating chart of the hand-picked reporters. No, he did not call in the Fox News guy, which he knew that was going to happen. Uh, let's see. What's this? He's starting. Uh, here he is talking about tax rates, and he kind of just starts uh, rambling in the middle of it. Two, to rebuild the backbone of this country, the middle class, hardworking people, and people struggling in the middle class. They built America, and unions built them. The third reason I said I was running <laughs> was to unite the country. And generically speaking, all of you said, no, you can't do that. Well, I've not been able to unite the Congress, but I've been uniting the country based on the polling data. We have to come together. Okay, nobody's coming together. Why do they keep saying that? Nobody's coming together. They just aren't. It's okay. You know, they're just not going to. Uh, And then, of course, he talked about the assault weapons, and you knew this was coming up. Let's hear Sleepy Joe talking about how he wants to ban those scary assault weapons. Here we go. This is the one thing I do know enough to say on in terms of what's happened there. While we're still waiting for more information regarding the shooter, his motive, the weapons he used, the guns, the magazines, the weapons, the modifications that apparently have taken place to those weapons that are involved here, I don't need to wait another minute, let alone an hour, to take common sense steps I will save the lives in the future and to urge my colleagues in the House and Senate to act. We can ban assault weapons and high-capacity magazines in this country once again. I got that done when I was a senator. It passed. It was law for the longest time. And it brought down these mass killings. We should do it again. We can close the loopholes in our background check system, including the Charleston loophole. That's one of the best tools we have right now to prevent gun violence. The Senate should immediately pass, let me say it again, the United States Senate, I hope some are listening, should immediately pass the two House passed bills that close loopholes in the background check system. These are bills 
that received votes of both Republicans and Democrats in the House. This is not, it should not be a partisan issue. This is an American issue. It will save lives, American lives. Mm. And we have to act. Okay. That's, he wants to do it. He wants to, Joe, he's coming for your rifles. You guys are going to turn him in if he, uh, if he grabs them from you? I know a lot of you are going to all of a sudden have many scary fishing accidents uh, as per usual. Is that all I got for that? Let's just scroll down here and see if Biden was talking about anything else. Well, he kind of then he kind of annoyed the gun activists because after he said that, how we, you know, he you heard him, you don't need to wait another minute. Well, he said that guns were not next on his priority list. Instead, it would be infrastructure. Because he was specifically act, asked about that, and I probably cut off the video, the audio before it got to that just because he was putting me to sleep. But he basically ended up pivoting to a lengthy explanation of why infrastructure was a bigger priority than the gun bill. And, you know, the, the gun thing, I don't know. It's kind of a political loser. It really is. Infamously in 1994, that's when they say, uh, Bill Clinton famously lost the House. It was like a landslide victory, and they they attributed that to him signing that anti-weapons bill. So, uh, of course, now we live in a social media era. It's a completely different era. You can't really, and you guys know, I don't like comparing eras because so much has radically changed since 1994. However, it's just, it's just not uh, a priority outside these big, spectacular events. Uh, so I suppose as long as we're talking about, we should talk about the latest mass shooting and let's talk about the Boulder shooting where investigators are still searching for answers after the mass shooting that killed 10 people at that crowded grocery store called King Supers in Boulder, Colorado. Now, I'm always fascinated with the part about the weapon. You guys know I'm always looking for that in any story. Well, the semi-automatic weapon was legally purchased six days earlier at a gun store in Arvada, Colorado, according to the Boulder Police Chief Maris Herald. That weapon was a Ruger AR-556 pistol. It's basically a shortened version of the 5.56 AR-15 style rifle. But it is considered a handgun under Colorado law. Now, the suspect was 21 years old, which is friggin' shocking to me. Did you see his mugshot? And, dude, what do I always tell you guys? You know, they search, they search for motive. You guys know my longtime stance, don't you? Of course you know the underlying motive. The underlying motive is he's an incel. He's an involuntary celibate. Look at his mugshot. His fat Face, his balding head, his scraggly beard, his huge gut, his lack of any kind of muscle tone. And he's 21. He look, I, th- I would have thought he was 41 easily. <laughs> like, go look at his picture. Seriously. Remember, that is Ahmad Al-Aliwi Alyssa. Oh, by the way, he was also found with a 9mm handgun. The authorities, as of now, do not believe he fired that. So he's been charged with uh, 10 counts of murder, one count of attempted murder, and is being held in jail without bond, of course. Uh, He's already had a 
One, he's already had a court appearance. That was yesterday. And one of his lawyers suggested that he had a, quote, mental illness, end quote. Of course, that's going to always be the go-to. That I, do, I don't think Colorado has a death penalty, do they? Uh, he was wounded in the leg before being taken into custody. So uh, let's see. They, they got the manager of the gun shop where it was bought. It's called the Eagle's Nest Armory. And he said that uh, and this is John Mark Eagleton. That's cool. Eagle's Nest Armory, Eagleton. He said in a statement that Alyssa had passed a background check and that the sale had been approved by the Colorado Bureau of Investigation. So then what's the loophole here? He had one. That's what I'm saying. Sometimes you, you get these guys, and he was kind of being, he was linked to an earlier case by the FBI. Apparently that's not enough to prevent a gun sale. But the thing is, it's like Stephen Paddock from Las Vegas all over again. If you don't have anything in your record, then you're legally able to buy a firearm. And sometimes these guys just decide, hey, you know what? I want to kill a bunch of people. And they go on a rampage. And they, But they've never been in trouble with the law before, so they take the background check and it shows them up clean. I mean, you can't, unless you're going to get inside their heads, which you can't. Now, there's all kinds of anecdotal evidence on this guy. Mostly his family who were freaked out that he had a gun but didn't do anything to take it away from him. Uh, so what about, uh, shootings here? I've got some uh, more data here, but here's just a few. In the last five years, there have been at least 29 shootings in the U S with four or more fatalities. And I believe, is that how they define a mass shooting? I thought it was four or more people shot. Uh, the New York times does not say in a rare miss, but that's what they're calling it. The number of overall injuries from firearms reached a 50-year high in 2017 with nearly 40,000 people killed. Of course, that would include suicide as well. Americans make up only 4.4% of the global population, but we own 42% of the world's guns. 31% of mass shootings worldwide from 1966 to 2012 were committed by Americans. Uh, they did examine how weapons were obtained in 19 shootings, these mass shootings, from 2009 to 2018. And they found that many of the guns used are bought legally and did have a federal background check. Uh, so, yeah. They're still looking at a connection to terrorism because he had some, like, fucking, you know, uh, jihad-adjacent stuff on his social media. I don't see it. You know, like I said, big fat guy, not getting any pussy. Clear as day to me. Um, anything else on here? I do have this uh, other article here, and this is a list of mass shootings in uh, the U.S. I already mentioned there's been 29. Of course, some of the famous ones, San Bernardino, California, that was Syed uh, Farouk and Tashfeen Malik, the two Islamic terrorists. And that, that those names aren't even in front of me, guys. That's the steel trap mine, pulling those names out. And we had Virginia Tech in 2007. That was the dude, the Korean dude, with the, uh, the two handguns, which is wild. Um, and this comes on the heels of the March 16th shooting at the spas in the Atlanta area. And uh, the New York Times, if you want to go look, they have a kind of a whole list. And you can Google, quote, a list of recent mass shootings in the United States. 
end quote. They have some good ones. There's some of them I forgot about. Do you remember the one in Ga- uh, in Springfield, Missouri? This was March 16th, 2020, almost one year ago. That was the shooting spree where the guy went across the highway. It was across five miles, but it did kill five people, including a police officer and the gunman. He offed himself. And then there was the August 31st, 2019 drive-by shootings in Midland and Odessa, Texas. That was when a man sped away from a mid-afternoon traffic stop beginning a rampage across two cities in which eight people, including the gunman, were killed and 25 others were injured. And that's when the gunman hijacked a postal truck and opened fire on residents, motorists, and shoppers before he was killed by the cops. And then uh, just a few others. You, you remember the Dayton, Ohio shooter? That was like the Antifa sympathizer. He killed nine people. The Walmart in El Paso, Texas, uh, killed 23 people. The Gilroy, the Garlic Festival in Gilroy, 19-year-old guy killed three people in that. Yeah. The Virginia Beach, Virgi- uh, Virginia. This one always slips under the radar, too. That was May 31st, 2019. That was an engineer who worked for the city of Virginia Beach. He quit. He told his supervisor, yeah, I quit. And then several hours later, he walks in with a gun and he killed 12 people. So, yeah. I don't know. At a certain way, if you if you want a freedom to own these firearms, you're going to have to, as I've said for many years, you accept that every once in a great while, one of these is going to happen. And uh, if you don't, then you're going to have to go door to door and confiscate tens of millions of rifles. And who's going to friggin' do that? Uh, now, there was almost maybe appeared to be another one in Atlanta. You know, and these things go in like waves, right? These mass shootings. Because, like, you know, one fucking incel does it, and then the next incel is like, oh, he did it. Now I got to do it. While a guy walked into an Atlanta grocery store, he was wearing body armor and carrying six firearms. He was actually arrested by the cops when he walked out of the bathroom. They said he entered a Publix grocery store at Atlantic Station. That's northwest of downtown Atlanta. And officers went to the store because a manager told them that a man had entered with a rifle and gone into the bathroom. So the cops come. They detain the guy. And he had two long guns and four handguns on him. (laughs) One of the long guns was a uh, uh, shotgun pump action. I wouldn't call that a long gun personally, but the... The, you know, the media, they don't know anything. But yes, they had a, he had a pump-action shotgun. I'm looking at the picture. One AR-15-style rifle. He had three... Uh, he had three semi-automatic handguns and then one freaking six-shooter. Plus body armor. He was identified as 22-year-old Rico Marley. And uh, yeah, they picked him up and said, no, you're, you're, you're not coming with me. So, he was charged with reckless conduct. I don't have an update on whether the guns were legal or not. But, in Georgia, you are allowed to carry a handgun if you have the proper license. And the law also allows people to carry long guns without a license, provided that if the long gun is loaded, it is carried openly. (laughs) You know what, honestly, if you're carrying a long gun around, you're just like a fucking jerk. You are. Especially, you know... this is a tool, and I know there's like, I know some of you guys are going to disagree with me on this, like the big, the gun nuts, you know, 
But th- there really is no reason to be carrying one of these around just for the hell of it to like what scare people, intimidate people. I don't know. That's just my personal opinion. I wouldn't do it, but I guess in Georgia it is your right. So what else? Let's keep going here. How about this one? Let's talk about some animals that are very high in the animal hierarchy. A rare bird that is high on the animal hierarchy because I don't like birds, you know? I don't. They shit all over your stuff. They're really fucking annoying. We've got the wild parrots here. They they screech like crazy. They wake me up every morning. But one animal that is very high on the hierarchy, one bird I should say, is the American bald eagle. Well, it's been making a comeback. America's bald eagle population has quadrupled. There were only about 72,000 bald eagles in the lower 48 states in 2009, while researchers are now saying the population is above 300,000. And this species was once on the brink of extinction, so this is a big deal. Um, They said this is a great conservation story. The bald eagle has been considered a sacred species to the indigenous people of America. And they are thrilled that the bald eagle, and of course it's the national symbol of America. And they said the bald eagle population, for one example, in the Chesapeake Bay region has been growing about 8 to 10% a year. Uh, So in 1917, bald eagles were considered a menace in Alaska. The government actually sponsored a bounty of 50 cents a bird on them, leading to more than 120,000 confirmed killings. By the mid-20th century, all but a few hundred bald eagles were presumed dead, killed off largely by widespread use of the synthetic insecticide DDT. And the bald eagle population reached its lowest point of 417 known nesting pairs in 1963. But through protection and conservation, and plus they banned DDT in 1972, the population was able to recover and the bald eagle was removed from the Endangered Species Act protection in 2007. And now you have, and this always happens, the animal gets hunted to near extinction, strict conversations efforts are are put into it, the numbers come back, and then the farmers, agriculture people start bitching about it. And I'm not saying that's a, I'm not, I'm just telling you what happens. I'm not making a judgment call one way or the other. I can see both sides of the argument. And that's what's happening here because with these increased numbers, bald eagles are becoming a nuisance for poultry farmers. That's right, the chicken guys. And so that has prompted many of these poultry farmers to apply for an eagle killing permit, or depredation is what they call it, from the Fish and Wildlife Service. Uh, Yeah, but they... Do not, so they said, this must be some kind of existing permit, but then like two paragraphs later, they quote some professor. The New York Times loves quoting professors. Every story, they run to a professor to get a quote. And they do quote some professor who says he does not see society reverting to a period where hunting bald eagles would be permitted. But then, then I don't understand. Then, then how could you apply for an eagle depredation permit, which is what it's called? And apparently, this is something that the Fish and Wildlife Service does have. I'm sure it's like very, very strict. But still, apparently, they do have it. 
Okay, let's keep going. So there you go. High bird, the rare bird on the animal hierarchy. This was uh, semi-amusing. High school football coach is fired after players' use of anti-Semitic language. This is in Duxbury, Massachusetts. And this is some rich town in uh, Massachusetts, if you didn't know. And its high school football team is a perennial powerhouse. Well, Coach Dave Mamaron, he's won five championships, but he was fired this week after school officials said his players had used anti-Semitic terms as play calls at the line of scrimmage during a game this month. Uh, now, first, see, I read the headline, and I'm like, what, were they you know, throwing out like racial slurs? Well, no. The director of the Anti-Defamation League's New England region said the players had used Auschwitz, Rabbi, and Dreidel as audibles. It's a last-minute play call. Uh, during a game. Uh, so... Um, there is, so, uh, I don't know, is that the worst thing in the world? I don't, you know, the Auschwitz one. Yeah. I mean, bro, come on. You, you could come, you know, how, let me say instead of Auschwitz, like if I'm in the team meeting where the coach is like drawing up audibles and he's like, all right, guys, I gotta go. We're already using uh dreidel and rabbi. So why don't we fucking throw in Auschwitz? That'll be our third audible. I mean, if I'm sitting in the meeting at that point, I'd be like, mm, you know, coach, how about we go with like, yeah, I don't know, matzah, you know, like the food we could do that. Or uh, verklempt, Yiddish word. I'm not feeling so good. I'm verklempt, something like that. Maybe, maybe go in that direction instead of the death camp reference where six million people die. I don't know. I'm just saying, coach. I know. I'm just fucking here handing out water. You're the coach who won five titles. But yeah, it, it wasn't like uh, anti-Semitic or racial slurs. But they're a little upset because obviously it's like predetermined. I don't think it's the worst thing in the world to use a word from somebody's culture like dreidel. But yeah, the uh, Auschwitz one is a, yeah, come on, you can do better. Uh, What else? How about this? Let's go to California. A Southern California man fatally stabbed his mother and uncle on Monday this week while the mother was on a video Zoom call with coworkers. Jeez. 32-year-old Robert Catton, Cotton, excuse me, was arrested on two counts of murder. The victims were 67-year-old Carol Brown and 69-year-old Kenneth Preston, his mother and uncle respectively. It's not clear what led to these attacks, uh, but four people were on the video call at the time of the attack, and apparently they saw the whole goddamn thing. How would you like to see that? You're on a Zoom call, you're a little bored out of your mind, and all of a sudden screaming starts, and you see one of your colleagues getting knifed to death. Uh, One of the four people on the call, yes, did call the police. They found a large hunting knife on the scene, and they determined that a Lexus SUV was missing from the residence. Well, they're, they're sitting there, like, looking around the property, you know, with the dead bodies, and a man later identified as... Cotton returned to the property driving that Lexus SUV. And he parked the car about a half a mile from the scene and Cotton walked over and he tried to bypass the yellow caution tape the deputies had set up. And this guy's a friggin' nut. He was promptly arrested. And, uh, yeah. Crazy, dude. 
this isn't the first time it's happened, you know, especially in the last year. Remember last August? I, I might have covered one of this one, a few of these. Last August, 27-year-old Donald Williams was arrested and charged with first-degree murder. He fatally shot his ex-girlfriend in front of her children, including one who was on a Zoom call with the class. So a bunch of kids saw that. And then last May, Thomas Scully Powers of Long Island was arrested and charged with murdering his father, Dwight Powers, 72, who was stabbed more than a dozen times while he was on a Zoom chat uh, with about 20 people. Ooh. All right. Let's go to a few more world news stories. And let's go to uh, Mozambique. A leading aid agency says that children as young as 11 years old are being beheaded in Mozambique's Cabo Delgado province. This is crazy. More than 2,500 people have been killed and 700,000 have fled their homes since uh, this insurgency that's going on there. And it is linked to the Islamic State. Began in 2017. Uh, they say that these uh, displaced people have reported gruesome scenes in the northern province of Mozambique, which borders Tanzania. One mother, whose name was withheld, said her eldest child had been beheaded near where she and other children were hiding. How would you like to friggin' see that? And she says when it, when it all started, she was at home with her four children. They tried to escape, but then uh, they hid, but they were... They they had to witness the oldest son getting his goddamn head cut off. Crazy. The insurgents are part of Al-Shabaab. And, uh, yeah, this is going on uh, for a while. What else in Africa? I got one more here for you. Armed attackers riding motorcycles killed 137 people in coordinated raids on villages in southwestern Niger on Sunday. That makes it one of the deadliest days in recent memory in a country that is ravaged by Islamist violence. These guys uh, struck in the afternoon. They raided three villages, and uh, they just went on and on. They had to revise the death toll from a previous estimate. Originally, the original death toll was about 60, yeah, up to 137. They're not even sure who this is. Uh, you got Al-Qaeda running around there. You've got Islamic State. You've got just regular bandits. And then a few days, like the next day, unidentified assailants killed at least 58 villagers in the nearby region of Tillaberry. Oof. Now, these latest attacks came the same day that Niger's constitutional court declared Mohamed Bazoum, great name, the winner of a February runoff election for the presidency. Uh, some of the other recent atrocities, in January, 100 civilians in Niger were killed in attacks by suspected militants, and they thought that was like a revenge attack. So yeah, Africa is just freaking going swimmingly, isn't it? All right. This one, okay, these, these are good. Let's go to a few uh, fraudsters. I love these guys. Let's go to the UK. A man impersonating a police officer pulled over a woman driving alone under the pretense she was speeding before demanding cash. And his name, by sheer coincidence, was Jimmy Cash. He told his victim the offense would cause... <laughs> Cost 5,000 British pounds. 
and she would be required to attend court as well as losing her driver's license. However, he added that the fine would just be 4,000 British pounds if she performed a sexual act on him. (laughs) That's not much of a discount, bro. Oh, man. And that's a lot. Like, are you buying that if a cop comes? First of all, if he's coming up and saying, this is how much your fine is going to be, police are not in, in America anyway, are not in the business of determining how much you're fined. They just write the ticket and tell you a court date. They don't say like, well, this is going to cost you 600 bucks and 5,000 British pounds. Jeez, I don't know. But that could be. In the UK, I have no idea. They have weird laws over there. Maybe the Maybe a speeding ticket is that much. I have no idea. But yes, he has been jailed for two years and uh, eight months. That's funny. She thought he was an undercover cop car because he like drove. He like kind of cut her off and then flashed his lights at her. So that, and then he said he was a cop. So, and then there's this guy. This is fantastic. When you guys sent me this one, a Japanese biker posing as a woman turns out to be a 50 year old man who is using FaceApp. (laughs) This is like a a big uh, social media following here. So this was a biker woman. The popular female motorbike rider in Japan had a social media following of about 20,000. It just says 20,000. This this, uh, article has been translated from a Japanese website, so it's a little tough to get through. But uh, she big air quotes, had 20,000 followers, I think, on Instagram. And she accidentally revealed it was a 50-year-old man uh, because the woman on social media account gained a lot of attraction among male followers. He posted a lot of pictures of himself on Twitter along with pictures of her bike and assorted tools. Well, he accidentally posted a picture of his bike, but in the rear view mirror, and there was a tiny reflection of a middle-aged man. Well, the eagle-eyed social media users were quick to notice the reflection. And somebody said it is a man. And then so some of the media tracked him down. And he said he was using Photoshop and FaceApp to change his identity on the line. Now, this guy is 50. He does have the hair. So he's got like long hair, you know, and a good hair. As somebody with incredible hair myself, I'm saying he does have good hair. And if you just erased the rest of his face, it could definitely pass as long chick hair. Uh, But he said, yeah, he said it was enjoyable because guess what? It increased the number of likes on his social media. (laughs) Uh, You can't trust anything, kids. You just can't. So, and remember, kids, also, please never send your nudes to anybody who promises that they are a hot chick on social media without at least FaceTiming. And even that, is FaceTiming even legit anymore? Like, maybe people now can use all these face tuning and face apps to change their face live. Because, you know, it used to be like, okay, well, FaceTime me. Let me see if you're real. Is that even reliable anymore? I've seen some crazy videos, and I'm just saying, I don't know if the AI can like change the face live as it's streaming, but I wouldn't be surprised. Okay. Let's go 
to well here's uh here's a, a few other kind of funny-ish stories a Houston bank clerk tricked women into handing over their phones and stole their nudes, according to a prosecutor. Yep. Juan Esteban Ramirez was fired from his Bank of America job after two women, both 20 years old, filed police reports against him. How'd this work? Well, the first victim walked into the branch last year to set up a new debit card. Well, she hands over her unlocked phone to show Ramirez her details. And then he messages himself around 16 images of her either nude or in her underwear. The same week, a second woman alleges the same thing happened to her, but it got even worse. In that case, he then texted that victim from his personal cell phone and threatens her and says he has those pictures. Like, what are you thinking? <laughs> what, do you what do you think is going to happen at that point? Well, he was arrested, and he faces two uh, felony counts of unlawful disclosure of intimate visual material. Hmm, that's an interesting felony count. Never heard of that one. Uh, and then uh, continuing on our kind of social media cell phone kick here. A relationship guru with 1.3 million Instagram followers has confessed to having multiple affairs after fans uncovered his indiscretions. This is Derek Jackson, spelled J-A-X-N. Weird. He preaches, quote, healthy, healing and healthy relationships, end quote. Well, apparently he was a big relationship guru and promoted himself as his loving husband and a loving couple, all this shit. And he took to Instagram to confess in a video in which his wife also appeared. Oh, dude, how awkward. His wife is named Danea Jackson. And he said to the camera in a third person, oh, I actually have a little bit of, I'll play the clip here in a minute, but he's talking about himself in the third person as his wife sits by his side. This has been viewed 2.6 million times times just in one day on Instagram. So let's let's just I, I haven't listened to this at all. So oh you know what I can't play the clip. That's right. Shit. I'm sorry guys. I don't have uh I forgot. I don't it won't play it on here really. Uh let me see if I can get it to play here. Um so I don't have IG loaded on this particular iPad but uh I tried to play it it's not embedded in the the New York Post story. And it keeps just trying to open it in the IG app, which I don't have on my computer. So sadly, it's it's super cringe anyway, though. But he's sitting there next to his wife, and he's basically saying, yeah, like, uh, and as I said, he's talking to himself in the third person. So he says, quote, the truth is Derek Jackson was involved with other women outside the marriage. All of it falls under the category of cheating, affairs, and stepping out, end quote. Well, you set yourself up as one of those guys. You can't, you got to be a saint. Speaking of saints, let's go to Hunter Biden. A Secret Service investigate. they, they intervened, intervened in an investigation into a 2018 incident involving Hunter Biden and his girlfriend at the time, which was his former sister in law, Hallie. Yeah, you guys remember that? He married his dead brother's widow. She took his gun and tossed it into the trash, thinking he was going to kill himself with it. Well, when she returned to retrieve it, 
You know, she was probably scared that some kid would find it or something. Well, it was gone. So police in Delaware launched an investigation in case the gun, which was left in a trash can across from a high school, had been used in a crime. Well, apparently Secret Service agents then contacted the owner of the store where Hunter had bought the gun and asked to take the paperwork recording the sale. This is being reported by Politico. The owner of the gun store, Ron Palmieri, at first balked at the request. Now, this is if you don't know. Gun store paperwork is a fucking huge deal. Like, that is like, it's like biblical shit. It might as well be because, and every gun store owner is a freaking Nazi about paperwork because if the F, if the ATF decides to conduct a little audit on your gun store and your paperwork isn't squeaky clean, you're going to prison. And I know I've known several guys who've worked in the gun industry and in the gun business, have FFLs, have bought and sold guns, and they it's ex- extremely serious. The paperwork is a big deal. So this gun store owner obviously is like, no, I'm not going to do that. He actually suspected the Secret Service were attempting to hide Hunter's ownership of the gun. They browbeat him, apparently. You know how it is. Federal agents showing the badge. So finally he did comply. But it says he turned the documents over to the Bureau of Alcohol, Tobacco, Firearms, and Explosives, the ATF, instead of the Secret Service. That is the government agency that oversees federal gun laws and, again, that gun store paperwork. Well, the Secret Service says it has no record of agents investigating the incident and said Biden was not under protection at the time. Again, this is 2018. Biden's a private citizen. Well, several days later, the gun was returned by a man who searches trash cans for recyclables. He found the gun. He turned it into the cops or something. Politico did get a copy of the transaction and a receipt from the October 12th purchase. Notably, Hunter Biden answered no to the question on the transaction, asking, quote, are you an unlawful user of or addicted to marijuana or any depressant, stimulant, narcotic drug, or any other controlled substance, end quote. We all know Hunter Biden is famously had many, many substance abuse issues. As a matter of fact, he had been discharged from the Navy Reserve five years earlier after popping positive for cocaine. And it came out in the whole fucking campaign that Hunter liked to friggin' do coke with prostitutes and have them bang him in the ass wearing strap-ons too. He's like, he's a fucked up guy, smoking crack on video, all kinds of shit. So, yeah. Now, and you know what? There wasn't a single question about this in the uh, press conference. See, that would have been the question I would have gone to, uh, gone with. Right there. So I wonder if these secret, if these secret service guys, why were they his buddies? Like, why would you do this? And that's a huge deal. So there's no follow-up so far. Hopefully we'll uh, find out more stuff as this goes on. Okay, let's go to the border. You guys know we've been covering the border search here. I got some good clips here for you. Well, this is crazy. Border agents in the Rio Grande Valley, the so-called RGV, that's the center, that's the epicenter of the migrant surge. They have now been authorized to begin releasing adult migrants and families from custody before they have even been given dates to appear in court. So that's open borders. That is, you're not even giving them a court. You're not even doing the pretense of we're going to make you go through the legal process. That's unbelievable. 
some immigrants were, I'm reading from an NBC News story. Some immigrants said they were being released without knowing how they would even be contacted. This is a huge, this is unprecedented in Customs and Border Protection Policy. Even if they did, even when they did the catch and release, the famously named catch and release, they still get notices to appear. You don't just like cut them loose. They have a notice to appear in court and then they come in and make their case. If they show up, about half of them won't traditionally. And now they're not even doing that. So NBC News uh, got a hold of some internal document. And in the document, CBP, Customs and Border Protection, instructed agents in the Rio Grande Valley that they are authorized to release migrants without court dates when their facilities meet one of a number of criteria, including reaching 100% capacity. And according to data recently obtained by NBC News, as of last Sunday, 5,175 immigrants were in Border Patrol custody in the RGV, where facilities can only hold 715. So it's like almost, and by now, it's probably 10 times over capacity. I'm sure there's thousands more now. So they're, they're going to be cutting loose tons and tons of people. They, some of the immigrants interviewed said before they were released, they were asked by U.S. Border Protection agents for contact information, which they provided, probably just give them some stupid prepaid cell phone number, and said they would be contacted within 30 days. Others said they were not asked for contact information and were simply giving ID documents that they were told to show to local law enforcement officials if they were stopped while in the U.S. <laughs> so it was a free pass? Wow. The CBP spokeswoman, God, who's that now, said that the border remains closed to families and single adults. Yeah, right. Anyway, so, yeah, just the latest one. So why don't we go to the clips. And this is pretty good. I've got a few from ABC News and Martha Raddatz. And here she is interviewing one illegal immigrant about if he would have tried to do this when Donald Trump was president. Let's go ahead and listen to would it. you have tried to do this when Donald Trump was president? Definitely not. Definitely. We had the chance, you know. We used to watch the, the news and uh, I definitely won't do this. So did you come here because Joe Biden was elected president? Basically. Basically. Okay. Well, it doesn't get much more clear than that, right? Doesn't get much more clear. And now, here again is Martha Raddatz, report, and she's reporting from Juarez, Mexico. And you're going to hear her talk to one mother who told her, quote, Biden promised that we could cross with minors. And I believe later in this clip, she's going to ask, she's going to play a hapless, buffoonish, DH Secretary, DHS Secretary Alejandro Mayorkas. Let's listen to this clip here. We walked into Juarez, Mexico, a city racked with violence to find Ophelia and her 10-year-old son, now headed back to Guatemala after being sent back to Mexico. The reason she risked everything? Biden promised that we can cross with, with minors. She said she heard that because of President Biden, she would be welcome. And joining me now is the Secretary of Homeland Security, Alejandro Mayorkas. Good morning, Mr. Secretary. I want to start right there 
We heard the sheriff say it, the governor say it, and the migrants I spoke to say it. They are coming across because they believe they will be welcomed under the Biden administration. You said yourself three weeks ago, we're not saying don't come, we're saying don't come now. President Biden had a stronger message later, but the messages are mixed at best, Mr. Secretary. Martha, good morning. Uh, the message is quite clear. Do not come. Uh, the border <laughs> is closed. The border is secure. Uh, it's not either one we of those. Are expelling uh, families. We are expelling single adults under um, the CDC's authority, under Title 42 of the United States Code, because we are in the midst of a pandemic, and that is a public health uh, imperative. We are encouraging children not to come. Now is not the time to come. Do not come. Stop the saying, journey stop is dangerous. We are building safe, orderly, and humane. Okay, so let me stop. Stop saying now is not the time because that, in, that implies there is a time. So you might as well at least get to the border. And that way when the, the implied time comes, you're all ready to go. Uh, of course, they don't want it to stop, obviously. Uh, I'm going to play a rare in a foreign language clip here because I want you to hear right from the horse's mouth. And this is the president of Mexico, Andres Manuel Lopez Obrador, commonly known as AMLO. And I'm going to play the clip where he basically explains expectations that were created with the government of President Biden. There would be a better treatment of migrants. And this has caused Central American migrants and also from our country wanting to cross the border, thinking that it is easier to do so. Let's listen to the president of Mexico. Expectativas acerca de que con el gobierno del presidente Biden iba a haber un mejor trato a los migrantes. Y esto pues eh, ha este, originado el que migrantes centroamericanos y también de nuestro país quieran cruzar la frontera pensando de que es más fácil hacerlo. Okay, there you go. It's funny because my Spanish is pretty good, but most like, you know, Mexican dudes like regular they speak so fast. It's hard for me to like really translate. I can get the gist of what they're saying. But boy, he sounds like a dull guy, doesn't he? Like he's how slow he talks. Come on, AMLO. Uh, then here is Senator James Lankford. Uh, he was out in the border. He was out with the border patrol in McKellen, Texas, and he filmed himself on this video. Let's hear a little bit from the Senate. I'm James Lankford. Want to be able to give you a quick update. I'm in McAllen, Texas, literally right at the Texas uh, uh, Mexico border. This is one of the underground processing areas that has been set up literally under a bridge. This is a bridge that moves from Mexico into the United States. Uh, this is where families are actually coming uh, and unaccompanied minors will just show up here during the night. And like I said, it's about 11:14 at night right now. Uh, they'll show up. Uh, I'll kind of turn around here so you can see it. Uh, that far end down there, the bright spot, that's Mexico right down there. They'll show up down that spot. They'll be able to walk through. They're picked up by border patrol here. They're organized, they get their name, their information. They'll go through a very basic screening where basically they're asked uh, do you feel well uh, kind of thing with a basic screening they'll get their name and information if they have a child that's uh, six years old or younger uh, or they're unaccompanied minor but they can have like 
10 people together that all say they're family, and if they have one child that's uh, five or six years old, uh, then all these folks will be released tonight into McAllen, Texas. Literally within a, a couple of hours from when they walk up from Mexico, uh, they'll go through the basic processing here, and all these folks will be released uh, into, into the United States tonight uh, with what's called a notice to appear. It's a piece of paperwork saying you've got to show up at a court hearing. At least they're getting uh, some one of those. court of those? hearings are three years later. Three uh, So years. literally they're into the country for the next three years. Uh, so they'll walk up way down there. Uh, they'll come through some basic processing here, and you can see, I don't know how many are here right now. And then there's buses here at the end, and uh, those buses will take them into the central part of McAllen, uh, Texas. And uh, they'll just be released at a bus station from there, and they can go anywhere in the country uh, that they want to be able to go. Okay, I'm just, uh, the video goes on. That isn't, it's fucking, it's chaos. This is chaos. Uh, and then here's, uh, so here's Sleepy Joe where he lied through his teeth. You guys remember last week's podcast, I explained that under Joe Biden, only 13% of the migrant families have been deported. It wasn't like a 90% under Trump. Remember that statistic? And I read right from New York Times on that. So here he is during that joke of a press conference, and he, he falsely lies through his teeth that the vast majority of illegal immigrant families are being sent back. If you take a look at the number of people who are coming, the vast majority... The overwhelming majority of people coming to the border and crossing are being sent back, are being sent back. Thousands, tens of thousands of people who are, who are over 18 years of age and single people, one at a time coming, have been sent back, sent home. We're sending back the vast majority of the families that are coming. That's the lie right there, right there at the end. Total Right through his teeth. Uh, and then here, contradicting that, here's hapless press secretary Jen Psaki, and here's where she concedes uh, actually most families crossing the border are not being sent back. The vast majority, the overwhelming majority of people coming to the border and crossing are being sent back, but only 13% of the 13,000 families that tried to cross last week were sent back, according to Axios. So where do we get a majority out of 13%? The vast majority of adults are being sent back. That's okay. not what the question is. Family units, 87% <laughs> of them are being taken into the United States to either be resettled or await uh, await their hearings. Uh, I'm just curious, 87% in the country of the family units is not a majority being sent back. A majority of adults, which every adult is not a part of a family unit, as I'm sure you're oh fully God. tracking, um, and Imagine tens of thousands of people are coming to our border. We know that. Um, and so the majority of adults are being turned away. Uh, our policy remains the same. Uh, we are implementing Section 42. As the President touched on and I touched on a little bit earlier this week, uh, we, there are capacity issues in Mexico, which we are in discussions with them about addressing. And they are not uh, in a position to accept and take the families that they have in the past. So that's part of the diplomatic discussions that we're Blah, blah, blah. So she like filibusters. Complete joke. That's, uh, again, a thank at least... They're sane enough to keep using that Title 42 that Trump invoked. That's the coronavirus pandemic rule that enables them to rapidly get rid of pretty much anyone they want as long as they're not a family. Because, my God, if they got rid of that, I mean, you're talking hundreds of thousands of more. I went over the numbers last week. It'd be insane. And then, you know, I, I had to play this one because here's stupid Kamala Harris, vice president, 
Remember I always rag on her for inappropriate laughter? Well, Sleepy Joe handed over this... He wants her to spearhead this fucking clusterfuck. And the uh, reporters ask her if she's planning on visiting the border. This is, a, this is about a, five days ago. And she does that weird nervous cackle. And let's uh, go ahead and play this. Do you plan to visit the border? Uh, um, not today. <laughs> but um, I have before and I'll travel again. <laughs> uh, it's funny, isn't it? That's funny. Yeah, the inappropriate laughter when she doesn't know what to say. Uh, do I have any more? I mean, just I'm just going through these right here. Yeah, more of Sleepy Joe from. He's, I don't want to play any more of his stupid fucking. Well, here's here's one more. He can't guarantee swift action on the border crisis from his uh, press conference. Root causes in Latin America doesn't change things overnight. How do you realistically and physically keep these families from coming to the U.S. when things will not get better in their countries right away? Well, I, I, I can't guarantee that, but I know, you know, that old thing, the journey of a thousand miles starts with the first step. You know as well as I do. You cover it. You have serious... It's not like somebody sitting on a hand-hewn table in Guatemala, I mean, in, uh, in, in somewhere in <laughs> Mexico or in, in Guadalupe saying, I got a great idea. Let's sell everything we have. Give it to a coyote. Have them take our kids across the border into a desert where they don't speak the language. Won't that be fun? Let's go. That's not how it happens. People don't want to leave. What, what do you mean they don't want to leave? Yes, they do. <laughs> That's nonsense. They don't want to leave. Why do you think they're doing They're doing exactly what you laid out. They're selling all their shit, giving it to the coyote or the cartel member. And they're sending their child on a journey across Mexico, which is very dangerous. That's what the Nezwas are doing. Holy shit. It's going to be a long fucking four years. All right, guys. Is that all I got? That's all I got. There's your freaking border update. Okay. Let's do a couple other uh, weird stories here. Let's go to Facebook. Facebook. This number blew my mind. Facebook took down. 1.3 billion fake accounts in three months. And that was the final three months of last year. That is nuts. Uh, the number of bogus accounts Facebook took down between October and December was equivalent to nearly half the 2.8 billion monthly active users who were on the platform at the end of last year. Facebook does block millions of fake accounts each day, most of them at the time of creation. Uh, they have more than 35,000 people working to combat misinformation on its platforms. A lot of this is clearly artificial intelligence systems. And those systems have helped remove more than 12 million pieces of content about COVID-19 and the vaccines developed to treat it. That is nuts. I, I, I have no idea how they do that. Clearly, they, they run this AI with, like, keywords. I don't know. All right. How about this headline? Base jumper plunges to his death from a 14th floor balcony at a Florida hotel after his parachute fails to open in time. He, uh, this is a, they don't name him. They just say a man believed to be in his 20s. Yeah, he died after jumping from a hotel balcony. 
<laughs> Fuck, dude. This is in Panama City Beach at the Sunrise Beach Resort. And uh, he was wearing some kind of fucking parachute and didn't even open. They don't even know if this guy was a paying guest at the hotel or if he got permission to jump from one of the balconies by maybe somebody who was paying. Whoops. Uh, this one is funny, too. Do you know the author Naomi Wolf? She's big on Twitter and stuff. Well, she's like kind of an anti-vaxxer. And she was tricked into tweeting an anti-vaccine tweet that she thought was attributed to a doctor, but it was actually a porn star in one of his porn movies as a doctor. <laughs> it was it was the porn star Johnny Sins. I know all you degenerates know who he is. Uh, he's 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 very memeable. He's been on many memes, you know, because he's always in like these different outfits, and so people will make a mean meme saying, "Oh, like this professor says," and it'll be Johnny Sins, you know, in front of a blackboard. And in this case, it was like this doctor says, and it's Johnny Sins wearing a stethoscope. Um, yeah, she shared the image with her followers. It is porn actor Johnny Sins dressed up in scrubs for one of his movies, and. She got pranked by somebody else by tweeting this out. And basically, it's a, it's, it shows the picture of Johnny Sins, and it's a quote saying, if a vaccine is effective, then why do you need to pressure people to take it? And then something about informed consent. To, see, there's a, lot of, there's a lot of people out there who are considered like very smart who aren't really that smart. Uh, how about Russia? Three aircraft crew members were killed on a Russian nuclear bomber after the ejector seat accidentally triggered and the parachutes didn't open. Oh, this sucks. God, this is a Russian nuke bomber? I told you guys all the time, like how Russia, you know, their, their technology in some ways is good, but in other ways they don't, like, care. Like, remember that aircraft carrier that they had with the smokestack on it? Had, like, a giant hole in it and shit? And now their vaunted nuclear bomber has ejection seats that just go off by themselves. The horror came as the engine started ahead of a training flight. Okay, so they were they even off the ground yet? It is not believed the plane was loaded with actual nuclear weapons. But yeah, the uh, the ejector seat system was reported to have triggered while the plane was preparing for departure with a crew of four. And the regiment commander was sitting in the instructor's seat. He was among the dead after the three were thrown from the plane shortly before takeoff. Uh, they did confirm, the Russian defense minister confirmed the deaths of three crew members in the incident. I guess the other guy wasn't on the plane because they said a crew of four. So I don't know if he lived or... Let me scroll down here a little bit. This was apparently... Right either when they were taking off. It says shortly before intended takeoff. So I, I don't know if they were taxiing or just sitting there. But they said the altitude was too low for the parachutes to work, obviously. And they must have just <laughs> launched right up in the fucking air. Probably like, I don't know, 50 feet. I don't know how high it would go. And they received fatal injuries when they landed. Crazy. Oh, uh, okay, here we go. The pilot survived as he had buckled himself into his seat before the unintentional injection. 
ejection. The other three were still fastening their straps. Hmm. So I'm not, exa- I'm not exactly picturing how this works. Because you would think if they're all sitting in these seats and the ejector blows, then regardless of whether they're strapped in, do they not all fly up into the air? I'm not like picturing how this guy survived because he was buckled in. I would think, well, it, doesn't the seat just blow up? And if you're strapped in, aren't you strapped to the chair and would receive an equally uh, fatal fall? I'm not clear on it. But uh, these multiple fatalities are the latest in a string of deaths com- uh, connected to this uh, nuclear bomber, which is the 2-22M3 bomber. Again, carries nuclear shit. And they've had a few crashes in here. In 2017, they had uh, one of these bombers crash after overshooting the runway at a military base. I remember, I think I covered that one. And, uh, yeah, a couple of these have happened. A couple others have skidded off the runway when the missile carrier released its brake parachute, but it didn't work, shit like that. And back in 2004, another one of these crashed in the Novgorod region, killing all four of their crew members. Friggin' death trap, man. All right, let us go to some good fucking mask meltdowns and racial incidents. I know you guys love them. I know you all wait. Here is a woman in Ulster County, New York, and she's basically starts screaming the N-word at somebody. Let's uh, go ahead and play this. You're a cunt-loving nigger, and you're a nigger-loving cunt. Damn, I said the two fucking words. Yeah, show it around. I want to see it go viral. Yeah, show it around. I want to see it go viral. Wow. Okay. Can I show it around? She didn't mess around, and she wanted to go viral, and uh, she certainly did. Uh, how about this one? Anti-masker in Idaho claims to have a medical exemption and sprays her aerosols all over a patient employee. No, I fucking don't need a mask. No, I don't need a mask. I have a medical condition that prevents me from wearing a mask. I have a doctor something says I have a medical condition. I don't have to provide it to you. The law says that people with disabilities are protected. By the law, you do not have to reveal what your disability is. (laughs) She's like right in this poor bastard's face. That was funny when he's like, okay, what is it? And she she changed the subject. Good one. Good food for you, kid. Okay, this one starts off a little quiet, but I'm going to let it go because it gets, uh, she starts screaming. And I think this is, um, where is this? I want to say this is in California. It doesn't say any initial, but it, it's like a woman. She's a white woman that looks like some kind of coffee shop. And she's at the counter and she's got a stroller with a little baby kid in it. So uh, it's about 50 seconds long. Let's uh, listen. She said she got a medical problem. You don't have to serve Go. 
And by the way, the uh, guy serving this white woman was African-American. And you heard her say, bitch-ass N-word. That's right. Here is a guy in Illinois, and the video says he's using racist slurs. Uh, actually, no, I think this is a female, manly-looking female, using racist, racist slurs against a man. Let's listen to this. Can I have your own video calling me that? What? Can I have your own video calling me that? What you called me when I drove by just now? Just for just for humor. Just for humor. It's actually so much all, It's all in your head. No, okay. I heard you call me that. I, call, I heard you call me oh, the N-word when so I drove back. Oh, you're so full of shit. Get that on there, too. I, I just want you to... I, it's the just, sand niggers are all full of shit. Get it on there. Yeah, it's just and for you humor. You can make it newsworthy. You can have a crucifixion and kill her with a big black nigger. Okay, thank you. <laughs> Jeez. Yeah, obviously a little disturbed woman there. Uh, and then here is an anti-masker. This is in California. Taunting a frontline worker. Oh, this should be good. Do it. Do it. I have a medical exemption. No, I am I am protected by ADA and HIPAA. I have always shopped without a mask. No, there's no way. No. No, I'm not leaving. She's not ringing me up. She called the police. Standing there. I don't know what that noise take is. Take it off! Her phone's blowing up. Or I'm not breaking the law. Ring me up. Good. Let's ring up. I will never come back to this store again. I'm calling your corporate. <laughs> Unbelievable. You are violating HIPAA is what you're doing. Another medical you expert. You the police. You are violating HIPAA. You are caught violating ADA. And your mask is under your nose. So why don't you cover your nose? Do you have your uh, That is a violation of HIPAA and ADA. You have no right to ask me about my medical situation. None. You are breaking the law right now. <laughs> ADA and HIPAA. God. And you're, you're lucky you're ringing me up because I would slap a lawsuit against you personally so fast. Your total is $63.94. I will to get never shop in this store again. I will tell my friends to avoid. Cover your nose. If it's good enough for the goose, it's good enough for the gander. Where's the fellow that never wears a mask who works in this store? He's always very pleasant. He's not here today. Oh, yes, he's here all the time. You know what? You're going to go viral. <laughs> ay, ay, ay. Be sure to keep that nose covered. That's funny. So, the, you know, the funny thing, I just, I should have said that. I didn't know this, but the... the the video comes, the chick who's being all belligerent, she's filming herself because she wants to, like, you know, get a moment and show, like, yeah, look at this. Look at me standing up to the man here. So, wow, there you go, guys. A good fucking week for our mask meltdowns. They are probably my favorite part of the entire podcast, obviously. All right, how much time do we have left? God, this one's going forever. All right. Got a little time. Let's keep going. 
Uh, let's go to Duke University. This is kind of in the category of fucking woke kids melting down. Duke University has launched an investigation after George Floyd's toxicology report was posted on a bulletin board. That's right. This bulletin board commemorated Black History Month. So they had a photo of George Floyd, of course, the man who was killed in Minneapolis, sparking months of protest by the Minneapolis PD when they knelt on his neck. And a printout of Floyd's toxicology report was hung beside the photo of his face. Uh, and this was on the third floor of Brown Dorm. Apparently, this is some kind of dormitory that is majority black and Latino. So they're investigating this as like a friggin' hate crime. Each compound, they didn't include photos of the poster report in the articles. You don't really have a picture of it, but they describe what it looks like. They said each compound listed on the tox report was underlined with a pink pen, and the person wrote notes across the top of the page insinuating that Floyd was responsible for his own death. And if you didn't know, his autopsy report showed that he had methamphetamine, cannabinoids, and fentanyl in his system when he died. So whoever posted the report also wrote at the top, quote, mix of drugs presents in difficulty breathing and overdose, question mark, good man, question mark, use of false currency is felony, end quote. Because remember, the police had pulled Floyd over for allegedly using a counterfeit $20 bill, and that's when the whole fucking shitstorm started. So then uh, the students, the uh, snowflakes, <laughs> the students fucking had went into a full meltdown and uh, demanded that uh, the fucking FBI bring in a SWAT team and, I don't know, fucking shoot to death, find whoever did this and kill them. or That, that would probably not even be good enough. Okay, quickly, a little bit late because we usually do it earlier, but how about a little COVID-19 update? Uh, total cases in the United States, 30.1 million confirmed cases. They have begun to tick back up a little bit. The 14-day change is plus 3%. Total reported deaths. Again, this is just the United States. 546,340. On March 25th, we had 1,270 deaths. The 14-day change in deaths is down 31%. So the country is averaging right around 1,000 deaths a day. That's down from more than 2,000 each day a month ago and more than 3,000 in late January. The national case curve, you guys know the curve, has plateaued at around 55,000 new cases a day. Infection levels, again, remain high in the Northeast. Arizona is adding cases at one of the lowest rates in the country. And uh, yes, I did just hear that the governor of Arizona is basically saying, we're open, everything's open. New Jersey continues to lead the country in recent cases per capita. Uh, as far as your latest kind of like live updates page, at least 34 states are now giving all adults vaccine access by mid-April. Uh, so they, obviously, this was the plan. All You know, you got, you got to get fucking needles in people's arms. And honestly, if it was up to me, I probably would have done this just off the bat. But 
I would like you know I would have given like old people like front of the line privileges, but I would have just said if you show up, you get a shot, and none of this fuck because it was so fucking complicated with the way they tried to do it, and it was just dumb. Because the idea, just you got to just vaccinate as many people as possible. So Kansas, Minnesota, South Carolina, they announced today, Friday, that they would open vaccine eligibility to residents 16 years and older next week. But Minnesota's health department said there would not be enough vaccines on Tuesday to meet the immediate demand, but they are expecting more doses delivered in the coming weeks. Well, then, if these states don't have enough, then what? Remember, I, I think last week, we're like giving away a bunch. I mean, shouldn't we be keeping everything we can get right now? I mean, America first, right? I'm sorry, but this is fucking survival of the fittest. We paid for it. Uh, let's see. New Jersey announced vaccine eligibility would expand beginning on April 5th. Um, they will open it for residents 16 years and older with dev, uh, developmental disabilities. And Oregon announced plans to announce expand eligibility for certain residents too. Uh, federal officials say that Pfizer and Moderna, remember those vaccines both require two doses, are now together supplying about 24 million doses a week. Uh, let's see. Just scrolling down here. As, as far as California, they will open up vaccine eligibility. They did, I should say, on Thursday to any resident 50 years or older. And they plan to expand that to any resident 16 years or older on April 15th. Florida has said any state resident 40 year older will be eligible starting on Monday. And that the minimum age would drop to 18 years old on uh, April 5th. So, yes, um, they do think the supply of vaccines will outstrip U.S. demand by mid-May. Remember, you guys, a couple weeks ago, I predicted I, I, when we were ordering all these, I said, I think we're going to end up having tens of millions of vaccine doses unused on the shelf that we paid for. Yeah, they think we're going to have a huge looming surplus. So... The government has locked in commitments from manufacturers for enough vaccine to cover 400 million people. That's obviously 70 million more than the nation's entire population, and a lot of people don't want to take it. So, Biden administration officials, some of them are inclined to hold on to the coming U.S. surplus point because they think, hey, maybe we will need them. Maybe children and adolescents who are still unvaccinated could get them, and and nobody's certain whether or how or when the immunity wears off. Maybe you'll, maybe you'll need a booster shot. So they're defending it by saying, well, no, we're just going to hold all this shit on the shelf. Anything else in the updates? The CDC ex-director, this he came out. This was uh, Dr. Robert Redfield. He said he favored a theory that was decried by many scientists and rejected as extremely unlikely by at least one World Health Organization international expert that, in his opinion, the coronavirus did escape from a lab in Wuhan. He did offer no evidence. He emphasized it was only his opinion. But he did say, quote, I am of the point of view that I still think the most likely etiology of this pathogen in Wuhan was from a laboratory escaped. The other people don't believe that. That's fine. Science will eventually figure it out, end quote. So there is no new information that we've been aware of that bolsters what they call the lab theory, which is what he's talking about. 
Uh, so, well, you know, I, where else would it, is it, you, that to me seems way more likely than some chick fucking ate a bat, had a bad reaction, and then it went from there. Doesn't it seem more likely? I don't know one way or the other. I'm just saying. Okay, so there you go. There's your, anything else on coronavirus? Uh, just quickly, uh, Angela Merkel, she scrapped an unpopular plan to shut down the German economy for two extra days over Easter. And she has apologized over what she called a mistake amid widespread anger over her government's increasingly chaotic approach to the coronavirus. The chancellor's reversal came less than 36 hours after she proposed two additional off days around Easter, effectively extending the existing holiday to five consecutive days in hopes of halting a spike in coronavirus infections. That was met with an almost immediate backlash because it would have required businesses to close. So she fucking caved. Uh, So yeah. She said, quote, The idea of an Easter shutdown was made with the best intentions because we must be able to slow and reverse the third wave of the pandemic. End quote. Spot on Angela Merkel impression, you guys. You're not going to find a, a better one. I defy you to find a better Angela Merkel impression. So there's your coronavirus update. Okay, uh, i got a few minutes left here, and let's just go through some headlines. Where is Socorro? It is in Texas. Socorro man has been accused of raping a disabled person. Hmm. I'm looking at his mugshot. He has, he's, he's neckless. His head goes right into his shoulders. It's, it's like a big fucking basketball placed onto a body. Uh, they did not provide details on the case or what kind of disability, but this guy is fucking horrific looking. Uh, his name, if I didn't say, is 40 years old Augustin Gonzalez. So fucking God knows what kind of special needs person he did that to. Here's a Daily Mail special. And let's stay in Texas. <laughs> this is a great headline. Texas man, 22, was forced at gunpoint to get his girlfriend's name tattooed on his neck before being shot dead and dumped in a drainage ditch. Jeez. The body of Eunice Hussein Alhassanayani was found dumped near Arlington, Texas back on February 4th. The 22-year-old was found with a gunshot wound to his neck, and police have since charged four people in relation to his death, including Ahasanyani's 28-year-old girlfriend, Erica Perez. Hmm. So they investigated this. They said that Ahasanyani had been at his girlfriend's apartment in Arlington for a late-night tattoo session the night he was shot dead. So there's a tattoo artist and four other men at the apartment. And what happened here? Police interviewed the tattoo artist who, by the way, the girlfriend's name is um, Erica Perez. I already said that. Sorry, I got poorly written here. Police interviewed the tattoo artist who said he had witnessed Perez and Al Hassanyani getting into an argument about him seeing other women. So Perez allegedly ripped his shirt and then put tape over his mouth 
And police found video on Perez's phone that showed a shirtless Al Hassanyani lying on a massage table as the tattoo artist worked on his back. One of the other men, who was armed with a gun, then tra- then grabbed the tattoo gun and started defacing one of his tattoos. And that's when Perez then allegedly demanded her name be tattooed on her boyfriend's neck. The tattoo artist told police he did not object to what was happening because the men were armed. <laughs> Good plan. Wow. And the men that were in there got him into the car somehow, drove him 12 miles away, forced him to get out of the car, and then he was then shot in the neck and killed. God. Freaking psychos. Oh, and I, they all have the guy's uh, mug shots, and they're all heavily face tattooed. So, kids, I'm just telling you, try to avoid guys with face tattoos. Even if they're good people in general, they don't really have a lot going on. So you're not really going to miss a lot out of there. Okay. Just keep going here. New York, one of you guys sent me this right before the podcast. New York uh, police department officers are no longer protected from civil lawsuits after the city council has passed a police reform legislation. You believe this? The city is the first in the nation to end what they call qualified immunity. That is what protects them from these civil lawsuits. Uh, So, yeah. The term refers to the legal principle that protects government officials from civil suits alleging they violated a person's rights. By creating a new local civil right through legislation, New York City residents will be protected against unreasonable search and seizure and excessive force and then bans officers from using qualified immunity as a defense. So in other words, if you think they used unreasonable force or excessive force on you, you can now sue them for damages and bankrupt them. Who is going to want to be a police officer with that? This is insane. Oh, these people are out of their minds, dude. Of course, stupid Mayor Bill de Blasio praised the legislation. In a statement to CNN, Police Commissioner Dermot Shea expressed concern over the legislation. Yep. A coalition of several New York City police unions circulated roving billboards around the city protesting it. Yeah, that's no good. Uh, police uh, protesters clashed with police over the shutdown of Echo Park Lake homeless camps. Several arrested. Yeah, this was all over social media. This has been happening the last couple nights. If you guys follow me on Twitter at Bravo Kilo Actual, I actually tweeted out one of the crazed activist groups who was standing up for the rights of these drunken, drugged out vagrants to lay around in their tents and erect many, many tents in a nice part of LA at a park and defecate where they'd like to into the lake, whatever, it doesn't matter. And for some reason, there's these activist groups, they're all militant Marxist groups, and they think this is just fine. And if you complain about it because you pay a lot of taxes and you bought a house and you paid a lot of money to live in a nice neighborhood, well, you're just a fucking uh, capitalist running pig. And I actually made a tweet about it, and some of the major left-wing activist groups actually got a hold of it and they started fucking coming at me hard. It was, I, you know, it doesn't bother me. It's comedy gold. But I did have one guy slide into my direct messages and threaten me with all kinds of shit. And I actually screenshotted it and I put it on my Instagram as well. So if you guys were wondering where that came from, that's where it came from. And this guy was like sick. Again, anonymous account. But he was basically saying, oh, I know where you live. I'm going to come up to you and your girl and fucking get all my friends to like rub up on her. Like really gross, sexual, rapey shit. And I'm like, wow, you're, you're, you're a good person. And I was also like, wow, scary. I was like, please do. I'm begging you. Come to my house. Please, 
please, please come to my house and try to do it. I, I want you to. I even told him the name of the town I lived in and everything. I'm like, please do. I'm looking forward to seeing you. But yeah, in case you guys were wondering, that was come. But I was getting swarmed all night, and it went on into the morning. I eventually muted it. You know, let them shriek into the void. I can never get past these activists. They fight like cats and dogs. Listen, if these hobos want to go out and have their hobo camp in the middle of there's a huge desert in the interior of California, go. Because the thing is, and I've told it you guys a hundred times, a lot of them don't want help because there are rules at shelters. And the activists all think they should be given like top-of-the-line hotel rooms from now until the end of time. And that's not the way the world, you know, the world works. And a lot of them don't want to do it anyway. They like the lifestyle. It's a cold, hard fact. The people who want help get help, and that's very few to begin with. First of all, you need to get off the drugs and alcohol, and a lot of these people are literally driven mad by living outside, consuming cheap drugs, alcohol, and one of the only effective ways to deal with it is to round them up, put them in a hospital against their will, and give them the treatment that they need. But that was considered a violation of their rights, so now we can't do that. So, again, go live your fucking hobo life out in the desert. I don't care. But you don't have a right to do it here at the beach where I pay a shitload of money to rent. You don't have a right to do it at the lovely park with kids where families want to take their kids and they can't now because there's like 40 or 50. There was like, there was like several hundred of these dudes. So finally, the councilman had enough. They called the cops to clear the camp and throw away all the garbage and filth. And that's when all the activists showed up, started fighting with the cops. So that's what's been going on in Echo Park. Isn't that great? Crazy. Uh, Oakland, California is being branded racist after the city of Oakland put out a program that is race-based. They promised to give families of color $500 monthly checks. And the program, funded by wealthy private donors, explicitly excludes poor white families. Well, there are poor white people in Oakland, about 10,000 out of the population of 435,000. Uh, but yes, this does apparently say this is like a universal basic income thing. You will see the no strings attached checks go to households with an annual income of less than $59,000 if they have at least one child. The other half of the $500 checks will go to those earning under $30,000. Okay, and this is meant out of equity, of course. And the Oakland mayor, Libby Schaff, she's another one of these huge left-wing, far, far-left uh, crazy people. She uh, kind of said, yeah, this is uh, only going to people of color. And if you're white, you're not eligible. So I'm wondering, like, how is this, how is this even legal? Somebody's going to sue this. This can't stand. I'm just reading for the actual... Uh, do they have a the actual text of the thing where it excludes white? They do not. Come on, it is Daily Mail article. But that's what... The, Libby Schaff seems to think it's fine because she's defending it. Okay... Uh, what else? Let's go through some quick headlines here. Run down. Uh, boyfriend, 27, who shot dead a good Samaritan who stopped to help his girlfriend after her car broke down has been indicted for first-degree murder. What a fucking animal, dude. Brandon Gladney was indicted on first-degree murder in a May 2020 killing. It's in the news now because he just got indicted. 
He is accused of shooting dead Lorenzo Macadori, 42 years old, who stopped to help Gladney's girlfriend. The 29-year-old woman's car had stalled in Memphis, and Macadori pulled up, I guess, offered to help. Gladney arrives on the scene, gets into an argument with Macadori, and allegedly opens fire on him. Freaking psycho, dude. See? Don't help. <laughs> I, it's sad to say that, isn't it? Okay, uh, this was cra- This one I thought went under the radar. Let's go to Iowa, Anamosa, Iowa. A nurse and a correctional officer at the Anamosa State Penitentiary have died after an inmate attacked multiple staff members and inmates, according to the Iowa Department of Corrections. The attack happened in the prison's infirmary. Uh, so this guy just freaking freaked out. Additional security staff arrived and restrained the inmate. And they tried to initiate life-saving first aid on the injured. And fucking they didn't make it. Again, some poor nurse. You believe this shit? Some poor nurse working at a prison. She just gets freaked. Uh, what did he, I wonder what he grabbed. They don't say. They're not saying the manner and how they died. I mean, it must have been some kind of knife. I don't know. Scalpel? Blunt? Object? Crazy. Poor lady. All right. India may be about to uh, criminalize cyber uh, cryptocurrencies. So all you cyber guys, watch out. That's right. They say that uh, they think it's like not good for the national economy. And they're going to get rid of it. We'll see if they actually do that. Uh, let's see. Evil husband sews up wife's genitals with aluminum wire after accusing her of having an affair. Hmm. This is in India. The unidentified man, 25 years old, demanded that his 24-year-old spouse take a fidelity test to prove her loyalty before he bound her hands and legs together. He then sewed her genitals together with aluminum thread, according to the Times of India. And it left the woman bleeding profusely, obviously. The guy fled. And... He is going to jail. The doctors at the hospital said it was savage. She has suffered serious injuries. Fuck. Yeah, there's a long, disgusting history of domestic violence in many countries, and India is no exception. Uh, did you hear about the 11 National Guard soldiers that were transporting vaccines that were held at gunpoint in West Texas? <laughs> this is nuts. Did you see the guy, the mugshot of the dude? No shit, he does look like Saddam Hussein when he was in full beard mode. He looks just like him. Yeah, an Arizona man was arrested after he cut off and held at gunpoint this caravan. And these National Guard dudes were transporting COVID-19 vaccines to Matador, Texas, and it was at 7 o'clock in the morning. So 66-year-old Larry Lee Harris followed the three National Guardsmen vans from one of those Love's travel stations, big you know, gas station stop off the side of the freeway. He tried multiple times to run the vans off the roadway. He then turned his vehicle into oncoming traffic on Highway 62 and stopped the vans. And then he pointed a gun at the National Guardsmen, who were unarmed, which is pretty common. He identified himself as a detective. If you saw his picture, you'd be like, you're no detective. He demanded to search the vehicles, ordered the rest of the unarmed guardsmen out of the vehicles at gunpoint. 
And uh, all 11 of the guardsmen were in uniform. And cops got on the scene. Somebody called the cops. They did take him into custody without further incident. This is freaking crazy. He is obviously, they put out a statement. uh, The man appears to be mentally disturbed. Very, very much so. What else? Let's see. A former evangelical vicar. I love that title, the vicar, V-I-C-A-R. Some kind of priest-ish adjacent. Uh, He was in trouble. He was allegedly left to subject his victims to naked beatings and ice bath punishments whilst performing sexual acts in front of people after church bosses took little or no action over the claims. (laughs) This is in the UK, London. 78-year-old Reverend Jonathan Fletcher was spiritually abusive, is what they're calling it, to at least 27 vulnerable adults at his church in Wimbledon. And he worked at the church from 1982 until his retirement in 2012. And he used to smack his victims with gym shoes and make them get into ice baths. And this was allowed to continue because the leaders at the church, the Emanuel Church in Wimbledon, basically said, ah, eh, that's just the vicar being the vicar. Uh, They said they failed to call him out on that, but what they didn't know is of these alleged massages, beatings, or sexual behaviors. So he would force them to get in nude into the ice baths and the saunas as well. And the review added... A serious incident of a sexual nature was reported whereby a participant claimed Fletcher, quote, told him to perform a sex act in front of him. And when he did not, Fletcher performed the act instead. (laughs) Oh, Oh, the vicar. Oh, the vicar. He's friggin' buck wild, man. I tell you, these fucking old priests, man. I don't know what was in the water when this fucking generation came up. But boy, they fucking go hard until they're pretty old. I mean, this dude was fucking partying. Jacking it in front of another dude. He's like, oh yeah, you're not going to jack it? Well, I'm going to fucking jack it then. I'll show you. And pulls it out and he goes to it. Hmm. He has apologized for his past behaviors. Oh, well, okay. Then, Then that's fine then. Uh, quickly, run out of time. Las Vegas babysitter, 22 years old, is charged with murdering a five-year-old Las Vegas boy after home security cameras showed her kicking him in the head and beating him for urinating in his pants. God. 22-year-old Lauren Courtney is being charged with first-degree murder for the March 12th beating death of five-year-old Ryan Peralto. And the cameras, the security cameras inside the house caught the whole fucking thing. How would you like to see that if you were the parents? Do you imagine that? They caught Courtney punching, kicking, striking, and screaming at Ryan, who cries and moans in pain. Courtney is a self-described entertainer. Whatever that means. What, OnlyFans? Yep, she shoved him in frustration after he told her he had urinated in his pants, and then she claims she blacked out after that. Ryan's father had actually installed these cameras inside his home because his daughter had told them that Courtney was hurting her brother, so this wasn't even the first time. Ugh. He died in the hospital on March 12th, the day after. Suffering injuries including a skull fracture, brain hemorrhage, and damage to his liver, spleen, pancreas, and intestines. 
What a fucking psychopath. How would you punch a five-year-old kid? Like, how, I, What kind of monster does that? I just can't even imagine it. Ugh. USC, University of Southern California, has agreed to pay $1.1 billion to patients of gyneco- gynecologists accused of abuse. This is a huge sum. This is... Uh, the uh, combination of three sets of settlements with hundreds of alleged victims of Dr. George Tyndall. And yes, this is the largest payout ever, broke a record for collegiate sex abuse payouts. So these USC claims reflected a 2018 federal class action settled earlier for $215 million, a second group of several dozen claims in which the amount of the settlement was not made public, and a third settlement for $852 million with about 700 plaintiffs. So you add all those three together, that's how you get $1.1 billion. Oof. The awards will be distributed among the plaintiffs in amounts ranging from $250,000 for the smallest. So, man, even if you padded your ass, you're going to get two hundred fifty grand to several million dollars. And that's a that's that's a very large per victim payout, per victim payout. The total settlement is huge by any measure. Yep, and is an abject admission that the university failed its female students over many years. Good. That is twice the size the settlement of the half a billion dollars won by victims of Lawrence Nasser. That was the Michigan State University physician who sexually abused young women under the guise of medical treatment. Wow. Crazy. And then finally, you guys, I'm uh, just about out of time here, so I'm just going to go right to the big finish. And here we go, and a lot of you guys did send this to me. Headline, 59-foot tapeworm oozes out of Thai man's rectum after he went to the doctor about extreme flatulence. He's 60 Seven-year-old Thai man had deworming medicine before passing the tapeworm. Medics found 28 tapeworm eggs in his stool sample on March 19th. Doctors believe the parasite came from raw beef that contained tapeworm eggs. Medics are saying that this tapeworm is the biggest tapeworm found in Thailand for over 50 years. Holy shit. The 67-year-old patient presented complaining of stomach pains and flatulence. He didn't know that he had any problems, so they get, they get a stool sample, sent to medics. They see the eggs. So there, he's given this deworming medicine, and that's when the giant parasite oozed out of his rectum the next day. And yes, I'm looking at the video right now. Footage shows astonished medics unfurling the mammoth 59-foot-long parasite and laying it back and forth onto a red mat so you can see it in all of its glory. Woof. That is fucking insane. So the patient was given medication and said, uh, hey, bro, fucking change your eating habits. (laughs) There you go, guys. That's all I got. The voice is done. I'm sorry, guys. Like I said, it's been a fucking rough couple of weeks, and I appreciate you hanging in with me. Please follow me on Twitter. At Bravo Kilo Actual. Check out that Instagram at BK Actual. And please go to Patreon.com, you guys. Really appreciate those of you who have rogered up lately. It's awesome. It's the only way I can keep the podcast going. Go to Patreon.com, look for BK Actual, and contribute a buck or two, five, whatever you can afford. It'd be awesome. 
And for all this entertainment and information you get every week, it's a hell of a deal, I'm just saying. Guys, that is all I got for you. I'm going to get out of here, and I will see you next week.